coming to get you, Barbara. I don't know what you come to do, but I come to praise me. Because you'll never be anything but a common frump whose father lived over a grocery store and whose mother took in washing. Hey there, hi there, ho there. Welcome to uh, Who Shot Ya? I'm your host this week, Alonzo Duraldi. Joining me in the studio, film festival programmer, indie producer extraordinaire. What would we be without her? Drea Clark is here. Hey, Alonzo. Hi, Drea. What's good? Um, What's good with me? So it's now April. And I spent March doing a challenge with two of my best friends. We did a meditation march, which is some nerdery that was all brand new to me. And basically the idea, and oh, I should just, I've never meditated. That's not my bag. I haven't done any of that. But we got like an app that has guided meditations. And our thing was, all right, we're going to meditate every day this month. And then we texted each other. You know the emoji where you're like massaging your head? <laughs> so as soon as you meditated, we texted. We're like, and then they would clap like they would send the applause back. And I'm going to say that both of those responses are probably anti the idea of meditation. <laughs> well, that and that you've made it competitive somehow. What was less competitive and more like, oh, shit, Marnie meditated today. I got to get on it. <laughs> Oops. Hannah's smoking me. So it was nice. It was a really funny. It was also one of those, you know, a lot of people do the challenges to themselves of like, all right, I'm going to run a mile every day or I'm not going to eat sugar for a month. This was, I was like, oh yeah, I can sit for like 10 or 15 minutes a day. (laughs) This I can do. So this is your length. Yes. This is my length, but it still felt like productive and healthful. Are you feeling centered? Man, don't I seem pretty centered? You know, always. Okay, good. It was hard for me to really get That was a good, that was a totally loaded question. Because if you had said more than usual, I would have knifed you. Don't I seem centered now? Super, super chill. Thanks, Alonzo. Joining us today, uh, the host of the Maximum Fun Podcast, the JV Club, Janet Varney is here. Janet, welcome. What's good? Massaging the head emoji, clapping, 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 clapping. One hand clapping emoji, is that a thing? Yeah. Uh, In in a very immediate way, what's good is that Drea and I both wore Mm. our matching blonde braids. Yes. Unbeknownst to one another. Pippi Longstocking realness here. There's a real Pippi. There's a real Ingrid. I mean, there's just a lot of good stuff going on. Uh, So that is a a quick and immediate good. Suddenly I want instant cocoa with miniature I don't blame you. Listen, I don't blame you. Uh, Just don't. Do you want St. Paulie's girl? I'm glad. I don't feel that either one of us necessarily. I was going to just stick with the check cocoa those boxes, and, uh... so I probably should have brought it up. But uh, <laughs> uh, and then in the in in the in the grander scheme, uh, listen, I got to be honest with you. We have a six month old puppy. Whoa! I've never had a puppy before. I've only had dogs come into my life that have been older than a puppy. Mm. Um, it is a joy. What a joy! <laughs> yeah, what a great little guy. Very, very smart. Very smart. Uh, uh, where are you with the commands? Uh, extremely far. Wow. He's very smart. Uh, he's a, he's a, he was a stray and a rescue, and like I feel like that goes without saying. Who's like, we got him at a puppy mill. Um, <laughs> so cute. Yeah, this is Los Angeles. You will be shot on sight if you say that you are a breeder. Um, but he is, so the... We feel that, and this sort of universal uh, people who weigh in have agreed that he is part 
uh, Jack Russell part border collie, perhaps. Oh, Two very smart dogs. Very nice combo, yeah. Yeah. So he's all black, then with a little stripe of white up his nose and mm-hmm. white paws. And uh, he sits, he shakes hands. We got him when he was four months, so we've had him two oh. months. He's, he's uh, very house trained. He sits, shakes hands. Um, you can put, he was so food anxious when we first got him that, you know, he was just like inhaling. I mean, I really thought he's breathing in his food. He's not even <laughs> eating it at all. And now we put, we can put the food down. He sits about three feet away, and we can leave the room and come back in, and he will still be sitting there until he gets the command oh, that's that he can eat. You. That's it's impressive. bonkers. He's so alert. He really is like a show dog. No <laughs> one would ever do that in my household. But you. But I've worked on shows where there are trained dogs, and I've always been so impressed with just the connection between mm-hmm. the trainer and the dog. The, tra- the dog is just watching the trainer, mm-hmm. and they have this very weird symbiotic relationship. That is how jasper is he is very present and (laughs) darling i love him he sounds like precious he's and i love i love a white paw like they step through paint yeah it's exactly (laughs) what he looks like and then we have a red husky who's about twice his size and uh he spends the rest of the day just munching on her chops because she has like so much extra hair as a husky she's a perfect dog for a puppy because he can just munch away nipping at her jowly kind of like fur on either side of her mouth and she just lets him because it's not doing anything to her that well, sounds like a cosmetic treatment i would do there you, go. <laughs> you should you I, should i live in the house of allergies but i'm going to vicariously enjoy all please of this please do he please do amazing. alonzo what's good with you you didn't even have to race in on i know i'm so but, uh, excited it's, it's thrilling nonetheless uh this is a this is a local thing, but uh, if you if you live in Los Angeles and you are a carnivore, and you particularly specifically a carnivore who eats pork, there is a place in Pasadena called the Garni Meat Market, G A R N I, and a tiny little Armenian butcher shop where they sell these marinated pork chops that will change your life. Dave White oh. snagged some, brought them home, cooked them up in some vegetable stock. They were breathtaking. Wait, they're like pre-seasoned meat yes, from the they, butchers. They are, yeah. They so come, you cook them yourself. Yeah, they, they, oh. it's they, they, it's raw, but it's marinated, and they, there's onion, and there's oh, God yeah. knows what kind of mystery stuff in there. But uh, the, you know, you you fry, you you sear them up on the stove, and the results are magic. And is that like a best kept secret where someone tells someone, but they can only tell right. one other person? Yeah, I don't so know. I, 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 I don't just, know if I'm divulging. I no, I think it's, it's been. I think like the late Jonathan Gold, I believe, wrote about this. Uh-huh. So if you Great. googled, you found it. But uh, yeah. Yeah, D- Dave uh, had to go to Pasadena for the day, and uh, our, our friend who knows all the food things gave him a few stops, and that was one of them. And I got to say, those pork chops were astounding. Yeah, you get all the glory of like preparing something, yet none of the prep time. Exactly. Without so. having to use a uh, food delivery service that probably <laughs> right? is advertised for right? on many podcasts. Indeed. <laughs> All right. Uh, it's it's a thrill-packed show today. We're going to be talking about Tim Burton's new remake of Dumbo. And also, uh, since we have the host of the JV Club, we're talking about the movies that meant the world to us when we were teenagers. And, of course, we'll get to our staff picks. But first, our Itadick segment, where we read news stories and decide for ourselves, is this important? 
do I care? Uh, starting off with some sad news. We lost the great director Agnes Varda this week. Um, she was one of the key figures, certainly one of the key female figures of the French New Wave, uh, but continued making films uh, into and throughout her 80s. She was 90 years old when she passed away this week. Uh, her films include uh, such classics as Cleo from 5 to 7, Vagabond, and the documentaries The Gleaners and I, and Faces Places. And um, yeah, is this important? Do you care? This is so important. I think it's important. I think uh, Agnes. 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 I should know that, man. All those years of French. <laughs> Gone. Um, Agnes, I think she was such an incredible artist that it's important that she existed when we did. But um, it's been really nice seeing the tributes to her in terms of opening up her work to a whole new audience who yeah. maybe hadn't heard of her. I think she's one of the people that a lot of current filmmakers look up to and um, who influence them or inspire them because she was, I mean, she was creating films for 60 some years. Like yeah. she's, her last film came out literally a couple months ago. Yeah. She just finished picture. She, it, like, she had a new one at Berlin this year. Yeah. And so, and I also, she was someone who was constantly evolving as a filmmaker. She was a female director working, I mean, starting through decades till today yeah. where that like, held her back in certain ways or pigeonholed her. Um, and then she was also a feminist in the sense of how she portrayed women mm. and called out their lives and how they were boxed in. Like Cleo from five to seven is one of the first sort of film school movies I saw and really mm. loved. And was like, Oh, I feel like I know something new about the world seeing this, which I think is so cool. The, but I also think it's important to remember that Agnes Varda is also a woman who sent a life-size cutout of herself to the Oscar luncheon <laughs> yes. two years ago. And people handed it around and, and took, took photos with it. With it. <laughs> and that is such a perfect embodiment of like her wacky spirit. And goes perfectly with, with Faces Places, which of is course. about putting photographs of people into strange places. Um, yeah, she was amazing. Uh, I admire the fact that... In her 80s, she was still totally open to new technology. She mm. loved digital Ugh, cameras. No she loved all the the kind of new bells and whistles with stuff. And it was never, didn't like entrench with what she was familiar with. And also, uh, she doesn't get nearly enough credit for her restoration work. Um, mm. She was married to another great French New Wave director, Jacques Demy, who made, you know, Umbrellas of Cherbourg and Lola and Young Girls of Rochefort. And uh, she spearheaded the move to, like, make sure that his films were remastered and restored and, you know, uh, uh, you know, maintained uh, for future generations to enjoy and for her own work as well. And so I think she really kind of uh, um, was very proactive about that stuff in a way that maybe a lot of filmmakers have uh, up to that point at least had not been. So, yeah, she she was extraordinary. And she she was in L.A. a lot. Like, you know, she and Demi came here in the late 60s. He made Model Shop and she did like Mirror Mirror and some other, mm. you know, Lover, Lions Love and Lies. I can never remember what yeah. that movie's called. Um, but they would cut, they would move back and forth between France and L.A. a lot. So a lot of people here had like these really great memories and anecdotes about her and stuff. So, you know, yeah, she was awesome. R.I.P. on Yes. Uh, you want to take this one? Yes, I do. Um, now, Deadline is reporting that Joel Cohen... One of the Cohen brothers, mm -hmm. the Joel Cohen, or the Joel brother of the Cohen brothers, um, will be writing and directing an adaptation of Shakespeare's Macbeth. You're 
heard of Shakespeare. I don't know. Maybe. I it's love a, that we would say Shakespeare's Macbeth as you guys, though we're like, yes. oh, Tennessee Williams' That's Macbeth? No, 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 you mean the Shakespeare's Macbeth. Okay, 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 okay. Vardas Macbeth. Um, <laughs> Denzel Washington is in talks to play the titular character of the Scottish play. Oh, the Scottish play. And Francis McDormand, who is married to Joel Cohen, would play Lady Macbeth. This is also the first time Joel Cohen will direct something without his brother Ethan. No word yet as to why. <laughs> <laughs> is this important? Do you care? I mean, from a gossip perspective about what's going on with the brothers, <laughs> clearly, clearly. Uh, I, I mean, listen, I'm, I'm, my interest is peaked. I'm always interested in what those guys are doing and 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 what you know what their interpretation is going to be. I have no sense of. I mean, it didn't seem like from the article where where it's going to be set, right? How what that's going to look like if it's right. going to. I mean, it's. I absolutely love Frances McDormand. I don't know that I necessarily place her in a more uh, typical Iambic pentameter kind of, context. Right. Um, so it, I'm 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 definitely curious. Yeah, I, I mean, I think this sounds interesting because it does not sound like something they would do. Well, they're yeah. criticized so regularly, yeah, you know? for having such whitewashed films. But mm-hmm. at the very least, I'm kind of excited. Of oh, you're making Macbeth with Denzel Washington. You've taken all these years of like, hey, try casting a person of color, and they're like, oh, I will show you. <laughs> How about I just make Shakespeare's Macbeth <laughs> with Denzel Washington? Maybe they'll make him a redhead, just sort of like boost the Scottish factor. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Who was was he? He was in the Much Ado About Nothing yes. as well, right? Yes. I was going to actually bring yeah. that up. I was like, with any luck, Keanu Reeves will make an appearance as well because <laughs> that made sense. Oh, oh. he still might be the card. I don't even care. I would stay. I would support it. He. He didn't have the language, but he had the intent. He smoldered. And he looked like Keanu Reeves, so I give him a pass. I understand. He had good glower, even if the language is a little <laughs> much. Yeah, I, I'm curious to see how Francis McDormand handles it. But, you know, I think most, like, serious, good actors with a sort of deep background mm. have, you know, studied this at some point. Right. At some point in college, you know, young Franny McDormand was out there, Ophelia in her heart out. So Absolutely. Like, yeah, and when you break it down, when you think about their more dramatic films, the theme absolutely works with their their oeuvre, if you True. will. Like, yeah, yeah. absolutely. The uh, idea of somebody wrong. who's, yeah, crime gone <laughs> wrong, somebody feeling pressured by someone else to commit said crime, yeah. all of the, you Hubris. know, the sort of torture self <laughs> torture about it hubris all that stuff is yeah. there he's, he's i shouldn't say they because as we know the i bo- keep saying they as well yeah. will not be involved yeah in your face ethan look right. i got i got shakespeare i don't need you that's right <laughs> Uh, the anti-abortion propaganda film Unplanned was a surprise hit at the box office this weekend, uh, bringing in $6 million on a 1,000 screens, even beating out uh, The Beach Bum, starring Matthew McConaughey. Uh, the film is allegedly based on a true story, true in quotes, about a Planned Parenthood director who leaves her job after a crisis of faith and becomes an anti-abortion activist. The film was written and directed by the men... The men Duh. behind God's Not Dead and God's Not Dead 2 is this important. <laughs> Do we care? <laughs> I want it to be God's Not Dead, comma, T O O, where they actually yeah. get into multi, not, it's not monotheism anymore. Yeah. They're like, it turns out the Hindus yes. are right. Yeah, Pure oh, Flix like is that. not going down that road. Uh, Pure Flix uh, is a frustrating enterprise. Uh, I think this is important because the reach of something like this that's just raw propaganda and chock full of not only a lot of illogical and false um, ideas of abortion and this woman's story in the first place, um, but it has an overarching 
idea of the women women's role in life right. and what they should be doing and how women shouldn't be working. Trey, I'm sorry. Did you oh, did yeah. you get your husband's permission before you started talking about this? <laughs> did he he let you see it? I guess he let you see the movie. Um, That's I'm not great. married yet, so I have to ask my father. <laughs> oh yeah, but, of course yeah. you do. But of course he, you do. He did say it was okay. He will have to. He gets edit approval. Okay, great, yeah. great, 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 great. Um, no, I think that. It's it's frustrating for me. I'm not a religious person, but I do think there's a place for faith-based media. Like mm-hmm. I I think that that's fair enough for wanting to see it's like anyone else wanting to see your life represented. Sure. And it's, Listen, the Mormons do a great job. Right. You won't know about all the Mormon movies unless you care. Oh, they got They're a whole They're not going to put them in your yeah, face. For sure. And they got a lovely film program at BYU. I love knowing that, and now I'm definitely going to Google that. Please do. Um but I think that that's fair enough. I think that's an interesting thing. Most faith-based films that I've seen are horribly made. Well, yeah. And then like this, if you're taking it, it's they're, they're propaganda. It's not yeah. even trying to show like, oh, here's an interesting story of people who follow our values and whatever. Right. It's, oh, let's... It's not let's begin a conversation. It's we're going to tell you how it is. Yeah. Yeah, no, Dave White, who was raised evangelical and was, has seen far too many of these movies... Uh, well, kind of tell you, he goes, he goes, you know, the problem with faith based, faith based movies is that the evangelical church dri- drives out all of its artists. And so mm-hmm. what you're left with are these people who make these like, you know, club footed, just obvious, shrill, badly shot movies. And yeah, I agree with you. There, there is a place for faith based cinema, you know, check out O Hazard Balthazar sometime. But like, this is, this is just uh, an ad. And frankly, I think this kind of ad is dangerous mm-hmm. because if people online could be convinced to show up with an automatic weapon at a pizza joint where they heard there was a child, you know, uh, a molestation ring happening in the basement where there was no basement, you know, how long until yeah. somebody sees this movie and goes and shoots up a Planned Parenthood based on a story that, Again. according to Texas Monthly, is not even true? Yeah. No, it's it's absolutely propaganda. And dangerous is the perfect word for it. Like, the amount of people... That's why I think this is important this story the box office this has the reach these kinds of stories have like it's a trying time for information anyway Uh, is it possible and listen i realize that i'm probably trying to uh (laughs) polish a turd but is there (laughs) if you will but is it possible that some of that box office money has come from people who are like i've got to see this no. like what no, kind well, of uh, i mean yes <laughs> you know what but i mean like doesn't... we're all gonna go see the abortion you know what i mean but but some but some of those dollars aren't people walking away going i do agree with all of this and this is all i mean I, I don't know how much it mitigates it but yes I mean, certainly there will be people who just sort of perversely like to see how bad yeah. these movies are going to be or like you know probably i don't know they this got shown to the press a lot so no doubt is one of those movies where a lot of working critics had to go buy a ticket if they wanted to see <laughs> right. the thing at all but but yeah. these this kind of numbers and a lot of, um, especially Christian films, a lot of faith-based films, the marketing push they have is super tight and interesting. They buy out all churches. Like, they'll do things Mm. where a single, like those mega churches will buy thousands of tickets and they'll send all of their congregation to Uh it. They'll they'll promote it from the pulpit. And there's been, I mean, like, that was one of the things Passion of the Christ, like, was buoyed by because it's, there's built-in marketing for religious films so yeah no i wish that it was more people going to be like oh look at this is 
how to not make a movie. Not that I want that them to get the money either sure. way. Sure, I was, I was say, yeah. just trying from a from you an ethical really, like, point of view in terms of lining, long, right? yeah, long reaching uh, values <laughs> yeah. and beliefs. Listen, hoping. that's our Pollyanna braids talking. That's it. That's <laughs> absolutely yeah. it. Sadly, it all goes into the bank account. The same yes, it way. does. So, all right, we will be back to talk about Dumbo after this word from another show on Maximum Fun. Hey everybody, this is Jake Keith Van Stratton, host of Go Fact Yourself, a live game show here in the Maximum Fun Network. Make sure to listen to our next episode of Go Fact Yourself with guest Kurt Brownowler. I did a show in Flagstaff, Arizona, where the venue just didn't list that the show existed. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, and I and it is the smallest crowd that I've ever done a full hour of stand-up for. It was three people. Oh my god. And Sarah Schaefer. Yes, I love crafting. It's my hobby. I have a craft nook in my home. You do? I do. It has all of my supplies displayed in an adorable manner. Wow. <laughs> yes. Oh, that, uh, yes, applause. Applause for a nook. That's Go Fact Yourself here at MaximumFun.org or wherever you get podcasts. Welcome back to Who Shot Ya? I'm Alonzo Duraldi. Joining me in the studio are... Drea Clark. Jana Varney. And we are talking about a Dumbo. One in a seemingly endless series of Disney live-action remakes of their animated classics. Chandy, you're the guest, so you get to describe the plot. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, have you seen uh, Dumbo? <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, uh, you know, I was... Um, okay, well, it, it's... From what I remember, and I didn't have a chance to revisit the original animated classic, I will say that I thought I remembered it perfectly until we were talking about the original after we saw the film. And then I realized there were a lot of elements that were very much missing uh, and had been replaced by other completely new live action relevant moments uh, in the film. But I did remember... Right after the movie started, like, oh, right, this is one of those Disney movies I couldn't watch very many times because I would be racked with sobs. Yes. And my dad would have to stop the yeah. movie and go like, you know what, let's put on Sesame Street. Like, let's not put you through this. <laughs> um, so I, it, it, I, it stirred up a lot of uh, old, sad darkness in me about <laughs> poor Dumbo and his mom's trunks uh, the interlinking. Trunk, the and trunk was like the... Oh, boy. Um, do you want a summary of the current one? Sure. Yeah, will you sum it up? I'm okay. really bad at summarizing. No, that's okay. Um, uh, let's see. I'm like, what's this about? Yes. So it is set, I think, in like 1920. It's right around the yeah, first... 1919, 1920. Okay. The, and um, it begins, it's a... Um, a circus in the middle of nowhere sort of crumbling at the edges and two children run out and I'm not going to do scene by scene don't worry Um, (laughs) two children run out and greet their father the very handsome Colin Farrell who's just come home from the war but he left one of his arms behind and he rejoins the circus and they discover the circus has come on hard times his wife has died leaving the kids alone and all the circus really has is this pregnant elephant who gives birth to a little baby that has enormous ears. Um, the circus owner, Danny DeVito, is wonderful, um, not happy with the ridiculous-looking elephant, wants to sell it back, discovers, weirdly, that this elephant can fly because of said ridiculous ears, and 
That elevates their circus, which brings them to the attention of Michael Keaton's bigger, fancier circus. And Dumbo the whole time is trying to be trained and learn his way and find his way back to his mom and family separations and hijinks and even explosions by the end. Who knew those were coming? (laughs) Um, And a very beautiful Eva Green. Oh, my gosh. She's so incredible. Yeah. So, yeah, that's pretty much it. Uh, You know, the weird thing about this movie is that the original Dumbo takes up act one. Yeah. I think because the movie, the original, the cartoon ends with Dumbo flying and the world discovering, hey, this elephant can fly. Circus succeeds. Everybody's happy. But the end. That's that happens about 30 minutes in. Mm-hmm. And then we have a whole other movie to. No, it's way later. To have. He only flies in the last five minutes. What? In the original. He, oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah, no, sorry. About, sorry. In oh, the, you're saying in the this new one. one. <laughs> you're like, Drea, you should not be talking about this movie. <laughs> yeah. You clearly slept through you a large the portion original. of the You didn't realize you were not watching one. the remake. Yeah. 30 minutes, <laughs> in, 30 minutes into the new one, <laughs> Thank you. the flying happens. You're like, oh, okay, well, now what? And now what is Michael Keaton, who is essentially playing evil Walt Disney? <laughs> Feels like it. <laughs> Feels like, like it. he's got this theme park that's very Art Deco, and you know he's. I mean, a... the font is the exact same font as certain elements of Disneyland, his, yeah. like the his... World of Tomorrow sort oh, yeah, of yeah. font. Yeah, and... there, there's a whole carousel of progress yep. thing, clearly. And but his park is called Drea M Land. Oh, Drea M Land. <laughs> yeah, not Dixieland it's funny, or Disneyland. I didn't realize <laughs> yeah. that. But yes, that's, of that's course a drag, it is. My drag Drea M Land. Drea M Land. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah so. Uh, I uh, I was just sort of stunned at how much nothing this movie is. Like I didn't care about any of the characters. You've got you've got you know poor Colin Farrell, you know with his war wound and his dead wife. You've got his sad children. The daughter is played by the real life daughter of Tandy Newton and looks like the, the mini mini version of her. Of, yeah, um, yeah. You know Eva Green looks lovely in 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 trapeze tights, but like I didn't. You know the. The grand scheme of this movie ultimately felt like bad people want to steal Dumbo, which reminded me of like a kind of whatever 70s Disney live action comedy like Mm. Gus, you know, or Million Dollar Duck, where like there's this animal that can do a cool thing. But now this bad person wants to steal him. And that's the movie. Herbie, etc. Basically, the animal Herbie. Yeah. And and, and, yeah, Michael Keaton is totally doing like Keenan Wynn and Herbie Rides Again. There you go. (laughs) That same level of like, you know. Yeah. But is it, I mean, hmm. I was expecting to walk out. I, I, I have not, I have strenuously avoided most of the Tim Burton and all live action remakes mm-hmm. of the Disney movies. Uh, and I, I, I did walk out of Alice in Wonderland. I mean, I just couldn't do it. Sure. I couldn't do it. So, and don't get me started on Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. So, Woo! I mean, you know. Uh, did you so- see Alice in Wonderland in 3D? Uh, no. Because that was even more painful. Yeah, I mean, I knew that that would make me physically sick, for yes. sure. Uh, so I was actually pleasantly surprised because I walked in saying to myself, listen, if my story on the podcast has to be that I walked out after a half an hour, we're going to make that work because I've I've sure. just gotten to a point in my life where Life's I can't waste time. You were going to exactly, be okay with that. Good. Exactly. So I was pleasantly surprised that there was enough... And this is not a surprising thing to say about Tim Burton, but there was enough visually going on that I was sort of... I became very fascinated by uh, Drea M. Land. Thank you. And I do find Eva Green just spectacularly easy to watch in anything. And I don't just mean that in a 
visual candy way. I yeah. mean that she's just so dynamic. She's got a great I love that to when her. she plays a good character, you kind of still think she's evil, and she, <laughs> yet she's so oh, likable. And she, it just, I love yeah. all of that, you know. And Tim Burton obviously saw. I'm sure the first time he ever saw her, he was like, "Just boners my for life. Days. Yeah. yeah. Now I have a new life, oh just like God. I did when I first saw Helena Bonham oh, Carter. Yeah. Just like I did when I saw <laughs> Lisa Marie. Lisa Marie. No, yeah. I was totally expecting because she does have a wonderful evilness to her, which is like the highest compliment to me because. Yeah, I sadly lack a visual evilness in most instances. Um, I give much more of that Sunday school teacher vibe. But you work double time to bring yeah, it my into sister. your actual, gets it. Uh, yeah. But um, when she's introduced, I was like, is this going to be like a Boris and Natasha set up between the two of them? So just the small reveal that she was actually lovely. But also... Um, there, yeah, there was, there was. I was pleasantly surprised because I think I also went in just like gritting my teeth. Mm. Um, however, there were some story things that I honestly was like, "You guys did not, did you not do another pass on it?" I like, know. I know. just the smallest things. I'm like, first, off, I don't know why the sun exists. The only, the <laughs> only purpose he filled was to make me constantly, whenever he was on screen, think, "Why are you not biracial like your sister?" <laughs> Every freaking time. And he didn't serve anything for the story. Like, no. literally nothing for the story. And if the daughter had been alone, she would have paralleled Dumbo in a bigger way. It would have made sense why the father was, like, left with the single, solitary, lonely girl. Like, I'm like, I mean, easy. There was just a bunch of things like that. <laughs> Angie Han had a great tweet about the, the, the daughter character saying, liking science is not a character, oh even if the character is a girl. Right? Yeah. Well, and their whole science thing, it was... It was... I was glad they took they. I don't. Even, I'm like it's on. T- it's on you, man. <laughs> I'm glad he took that on in the sense of oh, I've yeah, I have kids. I'm trying. Look, I'm woke. I'm Tim Burton. Look how woke. But it was not integrated enough. It was the small. Literally, the he got back was handed his kids, and it was like she likes science now. Yeah, <laughs> you like science now. Like there was nothing organic. They had this clunkiness of like a first timer, and he's made. Alonzo, you're going to have to check me. I'm going to say 58 uh, films. <laughs> it feels like 73 it. 73 films. I think 20-ish. Like, like he's that. made a couple motion pictures. Yeah. So there were these clunky things. I agree. And I think the thing... I'm sorry, Alonzo. I know I'm like no, 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 really no, getting please, riled please, up please, about please. it. No, but I think what's disappointing is that I think... I agree with everything you're saying. And I, and I, and I have that, that feeling, that sort of instinctual feeling that anything like that was could easily be dismissed as like but this is a movie for kids anyway so let's go ahead like it had that dismissiveness mm. of well we don't have to waste our time worrying about that part of the storyline because this is a, this is really a, a children's story so if we're to assume that mm. this is a circus full of freaks and yet this incredibly freakish d- Dumbo is like the bane of his existence. Like from the very beginning, you sort of go, "Oh, I see. This is the suspension of mis- of disbelief that that can only come from a semi lazily written yeah, children's story." It, they wouldn't just made of a sideshow mutant, basically. Yeah, that's yeah. such a good point. Like his whole thing, he was disappointed with the a baby elephant was born because it wasn't cute and you're so right I'm like no one else was there because they were cute like, yeah it's like, like two lines it, of clunky dialogue yeah. like we solved calf, it you know? you're like you didn't solve it no yeah. no, no no this is very <laughs> egregious just stuff like that I didn't even it, not even the visuals really blew me away which I thought you know that would be one of the things oh Tim Burton circus movie that could be really yeah. dark and interesting I liked the Colleen Atwood costumes of course because always loved but you know, I, I I didn't feel like there were a lot of sort of visual opportunities that were 
beyond what anybody else would have done making a movie about a 1920s circus. And it was very CG. Uh, you know, I mean, it definitely, definitely had well, that sort of lacquer over yeah. it. Yes, where you everything sort of... just becomes a big mush of nothing because yeah. it's all fake. When and I that's... say visuals, I mean Ava Green and then also just just this sort of peculiar, t- like, are you making fun of, like, are you being very... Very obviously dark about Disney and yeah. Disneyland. Yeah, like, like, like that's like, what I was sort of have, drawn have to. Have enough regimes passed, and like we're further, we're far enough away from the Disney family owning the studio that they're just like, eh, what the hell? You know, we'll even notice exactly. You know, I mean, it's like, uh, you know, we, you know, given that they made that totally fawning Saving Mr. Banks a few years ago. Oh God, that's right. You know, where like, thank God Disney fixed this woman's books. You know, uh, he was he was <laughs> he was a holy character. Some could say <laughs> oh. something Janet just said reminded me like. The idea, I hate when I feel a film is being condescending because it's intended for kids. Mm. Because we've seen so many, particularly animated films, resonate on yes. like yes. all we know ages. It's possible. Like, yeah, and this film had the capacity. There are there are great lessons Dumbo to be learned here, them, right? <laughs> like there are great lessons that could be taken away by kids, by adults. That I was like, that it's literally it's like on the elephant nose. But the idea too of the Dumbo's things. That, you know, these ears that were what cast him aside or the thing that made him special, like, that's the simplest morality tale. Like, that's a perfect kid. I don't even think that came across necessarily. No. Like right. This is the guy who made Edward Scissorhands, for God's <laughs> exactly. sake. How hard is it for you to make a movie where I your know. hero is somewhat physically unusual but yeah. possesses the soul of a poet? You but, know? Don't we, uh, but don't we have to keep saying that about Tim Burton movies? Like, that's the problem with Tim Burton movies is that half the time you're like, but you made... <laughs> right. But no, what exactly. about... Yeah, but that, remember when... That, that, that's, where you, that's why you get the... I'm not mad, I'm disappointed. Pointed because yeah, that's true. He's, it's like if you make Ed Wood and you make you yeah. know Pee Wee's Big Adventure and Beetlejuice <laughs> and you know all these uh, you know when it, you've made ninety six films even like Sweeney Todd like <laughs> yeah. I would argue pretty much I think works but then you know, like but then you make me sit through this and Miss Peregrine's Home for you know peculiar children something like dude like it, it it's it's exasperating because Burton firing on all c- cylinders is. Still, I think one of our most interesting, one yeah. of this generation's most interesting filmmakers. But man, he really makes you sit through a lot of chum to get to the good stuff. Do you wonder, part of what it is, and I wonder if it's his own aging, I wonder what element there is, but like, I think this movie would play really well for like first and second grade and under when there's not a need for that. But one of the reasons is his level of handling fantasy seems to have left him Mm. like i remember big fish and which was problematic but i loved it and part of big fish that was interesting is whenever it went to the the dreamier or the dreamier um (laughs) elements i won't i've never done that before but i'm pretty proud of myself no when it it went to those dreamsicle yes (laughs) I, i do love a dreamsicle um when it went to those the whole point of that movie was you were never sure if it was real or f- being made up. Like it was about this father telling tall tales, right? right? And so it made all of those like in this bubble where they could just be lovely and whimsical. With Dumbo, one of the things that's tricky about it, especially that differs from the first film, the first film, I don't think there's only one human character, and I don't know if he even speaks, it's the ringmaster, right. but there's talking animals. Like the first film, they get drunk. The first film yeah. is so set in fantasy and whimsy this one is set in a country stricken by war you know like with <laughs> an its... influenza right yes. that's right people are all dying from influenza like there's terrible things going on in grit and reality yet this th- i was like i'm sorry you're 
casually introducing a flying elephant to it. <laughs> and this is the only reaction we're seeing to it. Even I'm like, no, like the whole country would be walking, well, walking to Kansas to I, see I that. I think that raises the larger point about whether or not these Disney live action remakes are a good idea. I mean, they're clearly lucrative, mm-hmm. but it's one thing to make say Cinderella where you know like okay you might have the mice helping make a dress but they're not they don't have to be essential characters or Beauty and the Beast where you're like no 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 the candlestick talks you know but but then if you have a movie like this where yeah in Dumbo you've got like Timothy Mouse and you've got the racist crows and you've got like you know (laughs) all these animal characters and so it it, you know you're you're making this whole other movie because you're you're jettisoning that stuff you're ditching most if not all of the songs yeah you know we get a, a snippet of baby mine and it's terrible because it's arcade fire and they just don't know how to make any emotion out of the song you're right in the original movie it is a gut-wrenching experience and in this one i think it's only moving because it reminds you of the gut-wrenching experience in that other film you know um you know and you get a you get a little drop of pink elephants on parade wait a minute you got too big of a drop of i mean that was something that i thought Oh, I see what he's doing. Like, okay, this is his take on it. But then that went on forever. But even that, to me, I yeah, was like, I, okay, but wow, we're gonna. All I right, kind of liked still... that part just because at least it felt like it was sort of leaning into the fantasy right. notion, and you know, yeah. But it, but it out, of, but but it stood out in no, that true. way yeah. because it, you know exactly. what I mean. It just then it just felt cl- sort of jarring that it went it on forever. Like that bed frame at the end of yeah. Titanic. Maybe so I'll tell you what. <laughs> I'll tell you what. If he had leaned all the way in rather than constantly cutting back to Dumbo. Yeah. Yes. just kept it was sure. like they used the same take of a cg elephant like wait a yeah, minute we get it <laughs> now now you're replaying the same like he's cg you could make him look slightly different but it felt like they were like and then just cut back to that same shot we picked up of dumbo uh when he was watching the elephants use <laughs> that same that one again yeah the oh, one yes, i will yes. say the one last thing i would say yes, yes. um and it could be the pms talking i did honestly get super verklempt several times entirely because of uh, mother son animal or elephant interactions like there's f- like five different bad guys in this and oh, they separate them twice they separate them numerous times and they also I'm like this is why I believe in regulatory function you know we should not self-govern because this is what happens when you don't put animal trainer like <laughs> that they separate this baby from its and I was, anyway I also had to have a conversation with my cats afterwards about that to be <laughs> no, like no, I was, I, you I, guys I, didn't have a mother your mother left you on the side of the street in Bell which is how I got <laughs> you you can if you if you can extrapolate, and I think a lot of, and I and I don't mean to make this a gender thing because emotional people in general, empathetic people in general, that's the that's the good and the bad of of movies where you can kind of extrapolate and then you can build off of that and then you can go, but this represents X Y Z. Then you do get really emotional, mm-hmm. but then sometimes it turns back in on itself and then you resent the movie because you're like, you're not yeah. good enough for my tears. Yes. <laughs> How dare you? You feel manipulated. I'm doing all the work here. Yeah. Step, I'm doing the work. Stepmom syndrome. That's right. And the movie also gives a sort of 11th hour sort of appeal for, hey, maybe wild animals shouldn't be in circuses, which for 1920 seems pretty, pretty woke. It's funny. <laughs> like 1920 seems super woke. And ni- or 2019, we're like, why is this coming out now? Like, it's a very, <laughs> all the circuses we're all going to. Exactly. Oy. All right. Well, in the final analysis, do we think that people should skip it, stream it, or screen it? Janet? I definitely don't think you need to see it in the theater. It's not that good looking, to your Mm. point. I mean, if you have a curiosity about it, listen, if you want to see beautiful costumes, 
you want to check in on Michael Keaton because he's not doing as much, even though he's back in a way he wasn't for a long time. Go ahead and check it out. Feel free to fast forward through some parts. <laughs> you will see a Big Eyes version of Dumbo. <laughs> Stop it. Um, and you will see a lot of very pretty feathers. And uh, but you know, I mean, I'm not. It's not one where I would say like, please don't, don't do this. Do not do this to yourself. But don't, you know. Make it real easy on yourself so that, to get up and, like, change the channel or, like, go make brownies. That's a firm stream then. Very honest. Yeah. Uh, Drea? I have a kind of split reaction. I think if you have younger kids who like being at a cinema and like seeing something big, I think that they could find this enjoyable. I do I mean younger, scary, too. it's scary, though. It is. That's it true. It kind of hits that, like, oh, it's you have to be this age to not have a problem with the plot, but then you might be yes, really scared by certain parts. Yeah. You know, if you have, like, just a real chill five-year-old that has <laughs> no, like, mother separation anxiety, <laughs> bring them to the movies. No, but, and again, like, my stream it would also probably just be for people with children. You know what? I'm going to consolidate. I'm going to say stream it if you have children. There Fair you go. Enough. There. Well, y'all are very generous because I'm going right to skip. <laughs> This is. There are still occasionally some good Tim Burton movies. This is not one of them. Yeah, no. All right. We will be right back uh, to talk about our teenage faves uh, after this word from another Maximum Fun show. Hey, it's Janet Varney of the JV Club podcast, and I am so excited to be joining Maximum Fun. If you're not yet familiar with the JV Club, it's a podcast with me and some of my favorite women, and in the summer, men, as we explore the highs and lows of our terrible teenage years into our adult lessons. For example, hear about Allison Bree's humiliating moment at a gymnastics competition, experience the shame of a knocked-out tooth with Jamila Jamil, or drop in as John Hamm imagines what would happen if Bambi met Godzilla. So join me and all my once awkward, often still awkward, friends every Thursday by subscribing to the JV Club on MaximumFun.org. Welcome back to Hushai. I'm Alonzo Duraldi. Joining me in the studio are... Janet Varney. Drea Clark. So Janet Varney is joining us, and it's a special occasion, and so we're gonna we're gonna get adolescent for a moment. Janet, tell us the premise of your show. Uh, my podcast uh, principally involves me interviewing a fellow lady uh, about their awkward teenage years. Um, at a certain point. I've been doing it for about seven years. I think my 317th episode is coming out this upcoming Thursday. I know it's just been going on. I'm going to do my head rubbing and my applause emojis. (laughs) Let me blow everyone's mind because completely unintentionally, my 314th episode came out on Pi Day. Shut up. Whoa. That's a long That's combo. That's pretty amazing, that right? Is... Yep. Knew it from the beginning. Knew it from episode one. Sure. All timed out. Planned that Including out. with breaks. Uh, and then I, and then in the summer now, I do a Boys of Summer series uh, yeah. in which I interview a, a guys about their, and then I also make them sing a snippet of Don Henley's Boys of Summer acapella oh, at the end. Oh, there you go. Um, and I'm only just now getting that JV is also your initial, so it's yes, very clear. Yes, it works on multiple <laughs> levels. Uh, and it's just something I've never grown tired of. It turns out I can talk to people about being teenagers all day long, right. forevermore. Well, uh, we are going to get, we're going to talk about our own uh, teenage faves as moviegoers, the movies that, that mattered to us when we were in that sublimely awkward period of our lives. Adrea is like champing at the bit here. So. Mostly, mostly I'm shocked you would, I was clearly never awkward. 
Oh, right. Sorry. Like, like Gr- Athena I know, that's from Graceful Swan. It presupposes in its Just own description. I apologize. and elegant <laughs> yeah. throughout all. The yeah. veritable will of the wisps. Yes. Never told by people they could hear me in the next room and could I please keep it down. <laughs> Never once did that happen. <laughs> not not all the Listen, time. Save her for my podcast, girl. Um. Okay, good. It's, all right. Oh, Team Dre at the movies. Okay. What is she seeing? So I'm going to tell you right now. There are several. There's a range of things. Because yes. there's things that came out like before I was a teenager. Like John Hughes stuff. But I still inhaled it as a teenager. Mm-hmm. But I think of like the definitive for me. And it's also very telling when I like I'm like oh sure, is um, Christian Slater in Pump Up the Volume, uh-huh. um, who's like this super nerdy, super like speaking of awkward, like socially awkward, can't make eye contact. He's new to school, but he secretly is the coolest dude ever, and he runs a renegade radio pirate radio station, and he's sticking it to the man. And man, did I have a lady bone for that guy, um, <laughs> and. This gal saw, and this one, I, is it in the, t- saw William Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet in the theater oh. like 17 times. Romeo plus Juliet. Romeo plus Juliet, Baz Luhrmann's <laughs> version. I saw so many times it's stupid. And I had these like, they were six or seven feet tall posters, like one of Claire <laughs> and one of Leo oh, that my. I like got from a radio. They were pristine. They were enormous. They took up a whole wall. Yeah. And I brought them like to a different country with me, like <laughs> ooh, just a real cool guy. I've never like, seen no, it. I I've never jo- seen what? it. We got, oh what my. time is it? We got to get out of here right now. I've never seen <laughs> it. What? <laughs> this could be the night. You will. You feel like a teenager watching it. It has that kind of hyped up energy yeah. to it. Oh my god! Now I actually am of age for the John Hughes movies. Like Sixteen Candles came out when I was sixteen. <gasps> Um, 16 going on 17, as it were. And I was obsessed with that movie. Yes. Because I had never seen a teen movie that cast actual teenagers in it. Mm. You know, I had I had been watching, you know, Grease with Stockard Channing Who's as a like high schooler. 34. Yeah, yeah, you know. That's more and, in the Beverly Hills not 0210 vein. They, <laughs> they, they borrowed liberally yeah. from the that Grease came, habit. That came of, later. Oh, the, the Gabriel Carteris as a mom. Yeah. Nope, senior. Um, yeah, but so so like... Yeah, Molly Ringwald. I mean, Anthony Michael Hall looked so much like my best friend in high school oh. that when I saw it with my sister, she just, like, the second he <laughs> appeared on screen, she, like, all but had a fit. Um, we so, all yeah. went to school with that guy, right? Exactly. Like, yes. And so, I mean, I think personality wise, I was probably that guy, but, like, he just looked like my best friend. Um, but, yeah, the, you know, the. <sighs> Unfortunately, like, yeah, that movie has not aged well at all. Um, But Some Kind of Wonderful has. Ah, okay. um, Which was my real John Hughes heart. Like, Ah, my combo love of Watts and Keith was like, Oh, like great soundtrack too. Such a good soundtrack. Oh, very much. And I've definitely rewatched that, like, within the last probably month. It. It does hold up. Okay, yeah. good to know. Gentle Eric Stoltz. That's I will say, like me <laughs> loving a film where it's like, oh, that the male lead is not like he's not the football guy. He's not Jake Ryan, who has like sensey sides, but they're covered by the fact that he's like the coolest guy in school with money. <laughs> um, he's like an artist who just wants to go to art school and paint. Oh, he's so dreamy. Yeah, Keith. Janet, what do you got? Uh, I, well, okay. In terms of what I saw in the theater, um, I definitely saw L.A. Story Mm. many times in the theater. I saw The Player 
many times in the theater. Look at you. Uh, wow. I was obsessed with Silence of the Lambs. I had the mm. giant Silence of the Lambs poster <laughs> that was with reversible. The... Oh, do you want to just see Jodie Foster's stricken face? Or do you want to see the skull naked ladies? Take your pick. <laughs> I could see the face she's made, like that. Exa- that she's stricken. Because you want a she's giant moth stricken. on your wall. Stricken, stricken is the That's perfect right. word for yeah. it. It is the moth mouth. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then in terms of of things that, you know, my dad introduced me to, or that were like constantly, I was replaying like on videotape. Um, Harold and Maude, hundred percent, mm. like definitely defined that as my favorite movie for many many years, up through college probably. Um, you know, any when I told my mom that I my mom is Mormon. This is just like weird aside, but my mom is Mormon, and I had to go to church with her uh, when she she got custody of me on Sunday. So I had to go to church with her until I graduated. And when I graduated, I had to have this awkward conversation where she said, "I'm going to um, I'll pass along your contact info for when you move up to Flagstaff, Arizona, to go to college. I'll let the ward know up there where you are." And I had to say, "Please don't." I will not be ever going to church again, ever. And my mom said, "You." and this was like the most horrible thing she could have said. It was such a slap in the face. She said, well, you can't have a religion based on Joni Mitchell and Cat Stevens. Au contraire. And I was like, I mean, um, that's granted, an incredible line. Can Cat you? wasn't enough for himself. He had to go, but he did find a, <laughs> something that very much spiritually satisfied him. Uh, but that was like Harold and Maude mixed with a Cat Stevens soundtrack. But look for how me, well it was she like knew everything you. when I was in yeah, high school. She knew what you loved. I mean, she did know. So she was go. paying attention to say, something. You can't yeah. say she was not. She was paying honest. attention. Yeah, paying attention to something. Now, Sixteen Candles came out at the end of my senior year in high school, but the movie that came out at the beginning of my senior year in high school, which totally like pressed all of the buttons of my anxiety about what being a high school senior was and the impending doom of like, am I going to get into college? Was Risky Business. Oh. For real. What a yes. shocking movie that was to me. I saw that way too young. <laughs> my dad had it on video and I was like, what's this? And then I was like, oh, whoa, whoa sex <laughs> on a train is all I remember from this movie for many years. That was that movie got so much right down to there's that moment where, you know, he's pulling the forbidden Porsche out of the driveway and the Tangerine Dream movie is going like, and then it stops. Because the car has stalled and he has to restart it. And then the score starts again. And I was learning to drive stick and stalling (laughs) constantly. So I screamed laughing the first time I saw that. I was like, oh, my God, stop reading my diary movie. You know, as you're saying this, I don't think I've ever seen it. I think I've only seen the parody of, like, the slide and all of that. Oh, right, right, right. Oh, you're Is Rebecca DeMornay in it? She is. Maybe I All of her. All of Rebecca DeMornay. And Joey Pants. Oh, and young, young Bronson Pinchot. Yeah. None of those people are young. Those people, I know. no. They've Guess what? always been it's 30 plus. blow your mind. <laughs> Oof. Um, the, the other thing for me was uh, I watched a lot of Siskel and Ebert as a teenager. Oh, and yeah, so you did. Kel Supreme. I was running out to see stuff. So, like, I, re- I have very fond memories of getting my older brother to take me to see Diva. The, the French, uh, the Jean-Jacques Benet movie. Right. Uh, that was like my first sort of art house subtitled la-di-da movie. Uh, and also I, I saw My Dinner with Andre oh, so many times. Stop it. Oh, you did. That is the most on-brand answer. Uh, I know, like, it's the so fact, on When brand. he started with 16 Candles, I was like, huh. That's so on-brand. This, this is taking yeah. it. And now we've come back to, we've gone full Geraldo. Yeah. I was yeah. upset. Like, later on, like, because that was the very beginning of high school for me, those movies essentially. Um and then later on, I got real into like 
blue, white, and red. And then, oh, I, and then my yeah, favorite yeah. movie for a while was The Double Life of Veronique. I was just obsessed with mm. it. I couldn't. I was like, "Don't ask me to explain it," <laughs> but I love it very dearly. <laughs> How about Decalogue? Have you, have you seen that? Decalogue, I've never seen. Oh, you're in for a treat. Uh, yeah, but that one. I mean, I really thought. And then I. And then when Amelie came out, I remember thinking, "There's some real elements of Double Life of Veronique happening." Mm. Like I just remember because there was a whole sort of like. Here's the clues that sort of take you oh, right, right, right. on this kind of weird aural scavenger hunt. I feel like that was that was an, there were elements of that in that. In, in I think life. the most international thing that I ever I got with a group of friends of mine, we watched The Lover almost oh my God. every day. Yeah, I, that that real pop yeah, problem. Hot stuff. Like, hot stuff. So hot, Tony but Lynch also by the way, Jane March and braids. Oh yeah, hello. <laughs> I've got it, my bo- my, my boners hat out over there. Yeah. Um, and I look like a very young um, biracial Asian woman, girl. Um, that's a vibe I get a lot. But I was you look like Marguerite Duras. Oh, that. thank you. There I you was go. super in lust with Tony Leung. Tony Leung Chihuahua. Yeah. Oh my God. But in rewatching that too, I was like, mm, this is not great. It's not great. Ooh, we should not have been watching yeah. this at age eighteen. No, I no. have a feeling it's probably yeah. pretty bad. I haven't seen it. That since, movie but... was a huge deal at the time because I think. American audiences weren't used to seeing an Asian man objectified. Like, not since Bruce Lee had, like, yeah, an Asian true. guy got to take his shirt off in a movie and be like... Well, I was comfortable with it immediately. No, absolutely. And, I mean, I, I yeah. more of it, please. But yeah, I'm yeah. just saying, I think it was a novelty. That's a good point. Yeah. Because th- th- it just wasn't happening in American movies. Oh, know? and it's so prevalent now. Uh, yeah, exactly. So you can't trip over... They didn't a... do, have to do a thousand cover stories about... And Henry um, Golding, yeah, yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All righty. Well, hey, we have reached that moment that we like to call staff picks. Staff picks. Staff picks. Drea, what do you got? All right, I do have something. It is not a new movie because there's not a ton out coming out right now that mm-hmm. I'm super Jones on, but it is newer, I think, to Netflix. And it is a film called District Nine. Mm-hmm. Um, it's Neil Blomkamp. Is that how you say that? Sure. Yeah, sure, sure. Let's go with that. Um, but with a South African accent, you'd yes. say that. Um, and it was made in 2009. And I love a sci-fi anyway. And it is something that I re- re-watched and was like, oh, it's real dis- disappointing that this film that has these strong, smart undertones of um, xenophenia and segregation and all of these problems is like even more um on point now (laughs) like oh that i really wish we've gone the other direction with this but it does all this great storytelling and it's that thing of like oh it has a good sense of like a morality tale but it's also super inventive it has incredible as um special effects particularly for the budget and and very organic like oh yeah they really come off nicely built you sort of feel like they're there totally which is rare and it's it's humorous, like Charlotte Copley, which is I've never believed is a real name. It's like the fakest name that you would give so people don't remember you, which is an interesting choice for someone going into you know an acting career. But he's so great in it, and he's lively and personable and conflicted. And the movie is so unique, and it has so many different emotions, and it's thought provocative and thought provoking. And <laughs> that I, yeah. I seem to recall that was a movie that that was the year that they expanded to ten Best Picture nominees. And it was one of the beneficiaries of that. Am I remembering District correctly? Nine was. I think it was. That's exciting. I think it was a Best Picture nominee. Sometimes I remember being we... mad that they nominated that and not J.J. Uh, Abrams' Star Trek. But you know, whatever. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Yeah. Well, what I'm going to do is recommend people see District Nine on Netflix. Fair That's enough. what I'm going to do. You do that. Wonderful, Janet. 
Uh, the only thing that popped into my head because I forgot that this is a section. Um, but I love when our guests come prepared. Somehow, and I do apologize for that. Somehow, I could not tell you why, but somehow something that popped into my head when you were talking about District Nine was, and listen. Here's the thing. I was early to the party in watching the very first episode and being very, very into the show from the beginning. So I was very early to the party then, and no one I knew was watching it. I was telling everyone that I was a tech nerd to watch it, and no one did. Uh, but now I'm late to the party because when the series ended, suddenly there was a bunch of press that was like, here's a show you probably didn't watch because we didn't either. Like, that's the sort right, of vibe right. I got. But now I'm recommending it after all of those recommendations. But Halt and Catch Fire was a real favorite of mine. I loved that show. Um, I was uh, such a proud fan of it. And I was weirdly defensive when people were like, oh, yeah, I just never... I don't watch that. And I would be like, guys, guys, especially because Mr. Robot came on like mm -hmm. a season later and everyone was so crazy about Mr. Robot. And I was like, well, here's a thing that's not super derivative. <laughs> <laughs> it feels a little more unique, yet it's set in a time that is very much derivative and could be e very easily be you know, cheeky and right. like, here's a Rubik's Cube. And and I just think it's wonderful. So, and I love the actors in it. So well, if you have a chance, I'm sure you can stream it. I'm pretty sure it's on Netflix. Um, I love that series. If you ever meet Karen Tonkson, y'all can totally bond over this because she's also oh, yeah? a super fan. Yes. Oh, that's great to hear. Uh, mine is actually, it is a new movie that is in theaters, at least in New York and LA, and I'm hoping it's making it way, its way out into all the places. Uh, it's a film called Diane, uh, written and directed by Kent Jones, who was a New York-based film critic and film programmer and curator. This is his feature debut, and it stars Mary Kay Place as Diane, and... At the beginning of the film, we sort of see her as kind of a caretaker. She's visiting uh, family members in the hospital. She's checking in on, you know, some older relatives. She's trying to make sure that her son isn't maybe backsliding into his drug habit. Um, but the more that we get to know her, the more complicated she becomes and the more complicated her backstory is. And we sort of get some sense of maybe what's motivating her and what's driving her and how she's more than, you know, what you get on the surface. It is an extraordinary Mary Kay Place performance. I have always been a fan of hers. She is one of our, you know, just mm -hmm. super reliable character actresses. And, you know, we were talking about my so-called life before we got started, you know, just like so many shows and movies where she pops in and does a thing and is great and goes away. And here she is front and center. She's in like every damn scene of this movie. And it is not, it is an opportunity not wasted. She is extraordinary and a really great supporting cast. Jake Lacey is in this movie and um, Estelle Parsons and Andrea Martin and uh, Gwyneth O'Connor, who I love is having kind of a resurgence these days. She was in a bread factory last year. Uh, anyway, I, I don't want to tell too much about what unfolds in this movie, but it's very kind of, it's one of those wintry concrete sky, Western Massachusetts <laughs> kind of movies, you know, it's nobody is wearing like really dazzling winter sportswear. No one is driving a car that has not got like rust patches uh, yeah. on it. Um, but it also doesn't sort of fetishize working class people in the way a lot of indie films can sometimes lean in that direction. It just feels inhabited and she is just doing so much stuff with very few kind of like Oscar clip moments. It's more about these little small things that happen in conversation, the way she interacts with people. Uh, it's great. Go see Diane. It is the first film this year that I feel very uh, confident will be in my head at the end of the year when I'm putting together a top 10 list. Yeah. I'm excited about this. I, I love it. I love Mary Kay Place do, for sure. Yeah. Do check it out. I, I have one of her albums. 
Oh, yeah. Yeah, from her Mary Hartman period recording career. She's, she's awesome. And she's great in the history of white people in America, if you ever get a chance to watch that. That Martin Mull, uh, I think it was for Showtime show. Anyway, she's awesome. Uh, next week, we are talking about Shazam with author Brian Raftery, whose new movie, Best Movie Year Ever, How 1999 Blew Up the Big Screen, is coming out uh this week, next week, very soon. I just read the Fight Club chapter that was excerpted online, and I cannot wait to dig into this book. It is a hoot. Um, we have a lovely five-star review. Do leave us that beautiful five-star review on Apple Podcasts. We will share it here on the program. Suede Moon writes, y'all are flat out wrong about us. But I'm still dropping this five-star review because you guys are the highlight of my work week. Thanks for making my bus commute home laugh-out-loud funny each Friday. Well, thank you, Suede Moon. I mean... That was actually incredibly fair of Suede Moon. Yeah. No, it's true. Uh, we, we've had some disagreements about us, but you're, you you gave us a lovely review anyway, and, and that is super rad. Janet, this has been such a treat. Thanks oh, for coming thanks for in. thanks for having me, guys. I, uh, I really love talking movies. This where, has been a blast. You guys where, are great. Where can people find you on the social media? You can find me at Janet Varney on Twitter, uh, the JV Club on Instagram, just to make things confusing. Um, and of course, uh, you can check out the JV Club podcast on Maximum Fun. Absolutely, do that thing. And hey, if you are one of the uh, people, the the new and uh, uh, upgrading members who helped us break our goal on this year's Max Fun Drive, you're awesome. Yay! Thank you for that. Thanks to everybody who listens. Uh, if you have a comment or suggestion about this week's show, you can tweet at us at Who Shot Your Pod. Or go to our Facebook group at uh, facebook.com slash groups slash Who Shot Ya Podcast. Or hey, send us an email at whoshotya at maximumfun.org. And the Who Shot line is open at WSY8031664. Leave us a message with a comment, with a question, with a thought. Anything you want to share with us, just kindly keep it under a minute. And that will uh, totally increase your chances of getting it played here on the show. Our producer is Casey O'Brien. Our senior producer is Laura Swisher. Drea, you are a Drea M as always. <laughs> Why, thank you. This is a production of MaximumFun.org. And that's what's up. <laughs> MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.